Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 98 of the Green Light Podcast, POC Ephrage. And we are joined by Brendan Marks. Uh, he is a Duke and UNC reporter uh, working at The Athletic, which we are both uh, subscribers to. Uh, Brendan, welcome to the pod, man. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me, guys. Um, all right, let's jump in, dude. Uh, let's start with the kick controversy heard around the world. Uh, it's been covered far and wide and beaten to death, but we have to talk about it. Uh, Armando Baycott's <laughs> trip. In the Louisville game, where is well, the outrage? You know, I, I honestly, I thought the arm bar was a better move that he had in overtime there. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, college basketball officiating is always awful. It has been especially awful this year. That was by far the worst, probably the worst officiating I've seen in a game since I've been doing this job for about three years now. Just awful, horrendous, um, you know. If I was Mike Pegues, I would have gotten myself intentionally tossed out of that game. Yep. It's tough. I, I would just like to point out that we ended the last episode completely randomly. Um, Paul giving our guest a, a chance to give a, a green light to give a hot take. And according to Paul, without plan, it was Grace and Allen is misunderstood that Grace Allen's not. And then starting this episode off with, with the Armando Baycott, I, I just want to, uh, to make the audience aware. I think there might be an agenda. We are, here. We're not, really, we're really starting to put our episodes together. I mean, it's starting to make sense. There's but a seriously, lot of transitioning going here. <laughs> it's a, it's a great transition. But look, like I didn't, I don't. I, to be somewhat serious here, I don't think Baycott like did anything crazy. But there's it. There's a double standard here. And also, I will say again, I always try and preface this: what Grace and Allen did is not okay. Like no one is, I'm um, no one is sitting here being like, no, he's not a dirty player. And I'm not saying he's clean or dirty. I'm saying what he did was a, something dirty. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not labeling him as a player, but what he did was dirty and it was stupid and there's no defending it. But what, how last episode ended was basically like, it, what a reaction to his last foul. I mean, it's crazy. Like he went up in the air, he hit somebody, he Caruso fell awkwardly and it was a foul. So now we have those fouls in basketball all the time. Nobody complains. Uh, Baycott legitimately did what Grayson did like once in one, one of his tussles. And (laughs) there's, I don't even think there, besides the way too many Duke people that I follow on Twitter uh, who were pointing it out besides that, there's really no coverage. Yeah, I think uh, obviously Grayson, you know, once once you're a one-time offender, you're on the watch list, right? 100%. And he totally was and and will be for as long as he's playing. Um, yep. For Baycott, I I if I had to play devil's advocate to you, what I Please would say do. is if I had to play devil's advocate, I would say that if you go back and you watch it, it does look like he initially is trying to get up and doesn't realize that somebody is there. Um that's about where my devil's advocacy for it not being a foul expires. Um, because I think from that point, it was pretty clear that there was, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, intent is one thing it's contact contact is contact. And, uh, but, but seriously, the arm bar at the end of the game, uh, that Sidney Curry got called for when he was being choked out from behind. I thought that, that was that one, wild. I thought that was much more egregious. Um, but they were, I mean, they were both fouls and, uh, you know, the officiating decided that game to some extent. Yeah. So to sidestep Duke for a second, um, Brendan, getting back to you. So tell us about you a little bit, how you got your start in journalism. What has kind of brought you to, to where you are today with The Athletic? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I uh, bounced around a lot as a kid, lived in a bunch of different states, lots of different places, ended up going to high school in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and, you know, North Carolina was the in-state school. And uh, they told me I could come for free and I'm not going to turn that down. So I uh, went to Carolina and, you know, was a huge sports fanatic my whole life. 
I'm a five foot 10, relatively unathletic white dude. I knew that I was uh, probably not going to make it, uh, but I wanted to stay close to sports in some way. Um, and journalism became that outlet for me. So I wrote for the college newspaper at North Carolina, um, you know, freelanced for the local news and observer, the, the paper here in Raleigh, uh, freelance for the Boston Globe, freelance for Sports Illustrated while I was in school, did a couple of internships. Um, and then when I graduated, my first gig out of school was with Sports Illustrated in New York doing like editing and writing for their SI.com. And then from there, I came, to, I went to Charlotte for two and a half years, covered the NFL, covered the NBA, liked it, was good pro experience. Um, really, it just gave me enough time to say that I knew that I wanted to cover college basketball. And uh, when the athletic came calling, I, I was very fortunate to go. And, you know, I've, I feel like I have a dream job. I covered Duke in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, in a normal year, that means a lot more than it does this year, where I'm only really getting half of the juice out of my job. That, that was that's actually perfect because that was kind of the, the follow-up question of that and, and obviously you get to report on two of the top four teams programs of all time for a living and is, do you do you ever feel like you're in a bit of a, a of a bubble some would say or albeit an awesome bubble but just that you are literally right in the middle tobacco road with two of the top four programs um, of all time yeah for sure you can't not um and and there are perks and downsides to being in that bubble. You know, I, I, for example, a lot of my colleagues who cover programs that are maybe not as in the spotlight, don't have coaches who are, you know, a Roy Williams or, or Mike Krzyzewski and now Hubert Davis. Um, you know, they have a lot more, I would say of a direct relationship with those guys. Like, you know, coach K knows my name. We have a good relationship. Um, he will bust my ass a couple of times in the press conferences I'm not just going to call coach game be like, Hey, you know, let's go get lunch. And we're not buddy, buddy like that, which is um, one of the downsides, but it does force you to sort of be creative. Um, I think the other thing here is that fans here definitely have a level of expectation of excellence. Um, and so when you do have years like North Carolina is having now, or like Duke had last year, or like North Carolina had the year before that, um, you know, it's, it's just so it fans, think of the way that their team should perform so differently than I think they do just generally, even probably to Virginia fans and to other ACC fans to some extent. I mean, um, like if you're not consistently bringing in multiple first round picks, if you're not consistently a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, like that's failure. Um, and so it's, it's crazy high standards and it just means that everything here moves a little bit more quickly and um, there is less room for error, I would say. Um, okay. A couple follow-ups. So when, when the athletic came calling, did you say, Hey, I just want to cover Duke and UNC or was it like a general college basketball calling? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I actually was offered a couple of positions with the athletic before I took my current job. Um, and they were, they were all on the professional side of things. Um, and I sort of let them know that I, you know, was not particularly interested in, you know, going to like Jacksonville to cover the Jags or, uh, you know, my sister lives in Texas, but I didn't need to go to Houston. Um, so, you know, when this job came up, though, I just feel like people get to cover great programs all the time. There's a lot of great sports teams out there. But here it just means there, there isn't a, a big national professional team here. You know, the Panthers are two hours away. The Hurricanes are here, but the Hornets aren't here. Like this is sports to the people here. And uh, especially having gone to high school here, just to have a really strong appreciation for that and getting to come back was was very cool. And especially in the most probably the most transformative years, honestly, right now with these transitions going from Roy into um, Hubert Davis and Kay now into Shire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is it is literally the end of two eras, two massive eras. And um, I think the thing that's going to be so interesting and the thing that I'm excited about for my job for the next you know three to four years is seeing like, OK, they're going through the same thing. What are they doing differently? What's working better at one place or another? What's not working? Um you know, what does Hubert Davis do well that John Shire doesn't? What does John Shire do well that Hubert Davis doesn't? Um, you know, so I, and I'll be just interested to see if the tactics that those schools have used for so long still work. I mean, um, obviously, John Shire's first recruiting class is crazy good. Uh, is he going to be able to keep doing that and making the pieces fit on a year in, year out basis? Hubert Davis has North Carolina playing as as un North Carolina like as they've been in the last 50 years. Is that going to continue to be successful or not? So I Anytime you have this much change, it's going to be interesting regardless of the team. But given the history here, I, I just um, I can't really wait to see how the next three or four years unfold. 
Um, I want to back up to, uh, as a fellow 5'11 on athletic white guy, I think Michael Jordan put it best. The ceiling is the roof for us. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I, I totally get that. Um, even before we get to the next question, I wanted to ask Ian and I have talked about now for 98 episodes, how programs need to identify and stick to their expectation. And what I mean by that is Maryland fans will think that they should be as good as, I don't want to say Duke and Carolina, but they not should far be below it. <laughs> not, not far below. Right. Like, so Maryland, they're, they're like delusional. They, they, they Maryland should not be a, a one through four seed in the tournament every year. They should not be going to the final four every cup. That's, that's not where they're at now. Can, do they have potential to do that for sure? But like we talk about it all the time, like um, Illinois. Okay. Illinois, you're going to be fifth, to 10th in the big 10 the majority of the time the majority you're not a top four school some people could argue you're not top five or top six i'm not here to make that argument but like all this to say duke and carolina fans are the most spoiled fans maybe beside yeah they have to be not not even kentucky definitely not ucla like they're the most spoiled fans um so what is the standard, right? Like you mentioned, Duke had a bad year last year. And if, and if this is a bad, trust me, most coaches would take this as a bad year of what UNC is having. I mean, they're in second place in the ACC. They have like three losses, four losses. Like they're fine. They're just not Carolina good. So what do you think is the standard? What, what is the bare minimum that both of these teams should do every year? Well, I think the easiest way to explain it is to it's, – it's a situation North Carolina is going through right now. Okay, so North Carolina, like you mentioned, they're, I think, 16-6 and six right now. All six of those losses have come to quadrant run teams. They haven't beaten a quadrant run team yet this year. The conversation right now surrounding North Carolina is not if they're going to be a one or a two or a three or a four seed. It's if they're going to make the tournament. That is not the standard. The standard is that you are making the tournament every single year. You are – making it to the sweet 16 every year. And like you mentioned in a four-year cycle, you should have players who experience a final four, at least once in their four-year cycle. Um, that I think has been the standard. And for Duke, it's been the same thing. I mean, think about, think about from 2001 to 2010, what the conversation was around Duke. Think about Crazy. what the conversation, what the conversation was in like 2007, eight after Reddick and Sheldon Williams were gone. Listen, was, we don't, we don't talk about those years, right? right? We do not <laughs> right. talk about those years. And that ended up being the foundation for a title team, right? Yeah. It just, and, it actually took four years like the rest of the country has to do. Right. Exactly. But so just, just being in the top 25 is not good enough. It is not good enough here. And I think you're hundred percent right. Ultimately, what North Carolina and Duke have experienced is, is unparalleled in, you know, college, college basketball and really just college athletics history in general. I mean, Wooden was great. The 10 titles are amazing, but it wasn't over 40 years. It wasn't over 50 years like North Carolina and Duke have had. And, you know, save for three years under Matt Doherty at North Carolina. I mean, and, and since 1980, when Kay's been there, it has been sustained, continued excellence. Um, yeah. Also, listen, this is my hot take for the episode, but John Wooden is not in my top five best oh, college what? basketball coaches of all time. Did he, you want to know who he was playing against? You and me. Right. <laughs> okay. So I don't want to, I don't want to hear it with Wooden, but that's a whole nother podcast. That, that is uh, not as hot a take as I don't, as, as you think it is. We had a, we did a round table with our staff when coach K announced his retirement and it was obviously on the heels of Roy. And it was give me your Mount Mushmore of college coaches, men's and uh, women's. All right. So let's, we're going to end the episode on that, but um, this is another perfect transition. It's almost like I sent you the questions beforehand and I hadn't, but um, if you had to retire from either school, which route would you choose Roy or K? So like, if I, if I had the choice, I think you want to do it more like how K did it, how I would do it personally. Um, but Roy was never going to do that. I mean, it was not his personality to have a farewell year. I mean, he was always going to be Mike drop, I'm out. And I think that was exacerbated by the fact that he did it on April fools to the point where a lot of people were asking, is this even real right now? Yeah. That was tough timing. That's him to a T he wants as little attention as possible. And, but I think for me, the reason that I would do it in the manner that Kay did it is because what he is all about is continuity. And the reason that they announced it in the first place anyways, is because recruits were coming and saying, what's the deal? I, I mean, even, even the current freshmen, and there's obviously a lot of them, were coming in and saying, okay, 
you know, everything doesn't always work out. Wendell Moore was a five-star guy and he's now in his third season. If I come back for a second year, who am I playing for? And the inability for Coach K to answer that question was something that he was not comfortable with, that players were not comfortable with, families weren't comfortable with. This had to be their option. Um, and at the same time, now John Shire has the benefit of literally not just being, you know, a quote unquote year apprentice. He's in the same role realistically that he would have been in if they didn't announce a successor until a month or two from now. Like nothing has been a major difference in that respect. But because John knows that, his approach to this year has been entirely different. And the way that he has approached just even scouting meetings and things. I mean, um, you know, for example, just one small thing, the staff all gets together before games and they all have their scout and whoever is assigned it that day says, you know, I'm seeing X, Y, Z. Is there anything I missed? And at the end of the meeting, all the assistants go and they scatter and K goes and scatters. And now after that meeting, John Shire and coach K have their own separate meeting, not long, five or 10 minutes, but it's just enough for the two of them to decompress and for K to say, listen, what happened there? This is how I would approach that. This is what I'm thinking right now after that. It's just all about getting Shire prepared. And North Carolina didn't have that. And as a result, I think you saw in the first few days of Hubert Davis getting the job, a little bit more of a scramble than we've seen under John Shire, which is going out and recruiting the number one class in the country. Yep. Um, do you, I'm, I'm trying to not make this a leading question. I wrote it very much like a leading question. So I'm trying to reword it in my head now. But what had, let's start with this. What have your thoughts been on the retirement tour for Kay? I, th I think it has been about what I expected. Um, I think that he, I didn't know this about Coach K until I started covering him, but the number one thing that I've learned about him, for better or for worse, and at times I think it is detrimental, um, but the man does not at all marinate in the past. When something happens, it's over. It's done. It is not relevant to him anymore. His team wins a game. That's terrific. We don't care. His team loses a game. That sucks. What can we do better? It is in no way his, in his character to live in the past. And that's how he ends up being so successful is because everything he does is geared towards making the most of every single moment, squeezing every drop of usefulness out of every second of the day. And it's, it's exhausting to think about things that way, but it also means that the idea of reminiscing or going back and thinking, oh, you know, he's going to North Carolina for the last time this weekend. He's not thinking about those memories whatsoever. And, and he's not going to, he just doesn't care about that. It does not help him in any way to do that. So I think that in that respect, he has taken as much attention off himself as possible. And people have largely realized that they're not going to get anything out of him about that. And so they've laid off. There have been some gifts. I thought there might be more. Um, maybe there will be more over the last month. Um, but, you know, people have honored him and people have gone out of their way at specific moments to, to say what he's meant to the game. And you can't deny what he's meant, even if you're a North Carolina fan. So I think it's gone about as I expected. If anything, I thought there would be a little more. There would be a few more gifts. The thing I'm most interested in is in April, regardless of what happens in March. What then? Does he finally give himself a moment then? When there is no reason for him not to look back at that point, will he? And when he does, um, how is he going to react to what he finds? That's what I'm curious about. Were you, were you surprised that Carolina said, we're not doing anything? No, because Huber and Coach K don't have the same relationship that they have, that, that Roy and K had. North Carolina did something for K when he got 1,000 wins. And oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And uh, fans didn't love it. Fans were like, <laughs> <laughs> fans didn't love it. And um, I think especially like knowing that North Carolina needs this win in this moment so much to like for, for its postseason hopes and everything else. I, I just don't think that they really care. And frankly, as one of my colleagues and I were talking about, you could give Coach K a gift or you can boo him with the loudest, most intense hate-filled booze that you can muster and that's how he's going to remember the smith center it's not going to be with any gift you give him today so um i don't hate the idea of a little vitriol and a rivalry and i'm that's sort of what i'm expecting for saturday it makes total sense and i think especially too because not only you're playing this as a smith center they're going to play them again at cameron there's a good chance they play them in barclays again in the ac tournament it, it's it's not, they're not completely closing the book. And so I get the, the thought of giving that, but I think especially like you said, when so much matters, 
when you're looking for quad one wins and those are hard to come by as it is in the ACC right now, and you're looking at Duke, giving a guy a gift that then you're trying to knock out a couple th- about three times potentially in the next uh, month or so um, looks a little odd. But you touched on a little bit. What are your what were your initial reactions and what would you say at this moment, um, whether it's changed or not, your thoughts on the Hubert hire as, as well as the Shire hire? Yeah. Um, well, I can start with Hubert. Uh, I think, you know, as has been made clear by, I think myself and a lot of other reporters, um, it wasn't much of a process. I mean, it was basically, you know, here's, here's the job. Um, and there were interviews and whatnot, but I think the you know, about both of them, the biggest misnomer in college athletics is that you can go and hire a Jay Wright or a Mark few, like even for a Duke and a Carol, like those guys don't leave their jobs. They don't leave their jobs. They spend their whole lives getting to that job. The the best thing that either one of these schools could have maybe done was get like, you know, uh, maybe you could have gotten a Chris Beard and then Texas comes calling. But like, you know, guys of that caliber, are you really excited about that at North Carolina or Duke? I don't know if you are. Um, he's a great coach, but it's not the same. So for the Hubert hire, I, I thought that um, I thought that it made a lot of sense in terms of this was a roster that was in a state of transition in the short term that needed someone who could get guys back to field a respectable team because whoever it was going to be next, you know, if you hired somebody else and all these guys left, their first year was going to be a disaster and you were setting them up from failure from the jump. Um, Maybe they were able to get different people, but Hubert had this relationship with the players always has. He is, you know, the guy that all the players developed a bond with even when Roy was coach. And so I think that that part of it made sense. I think that the idea of modernizing the offense made a lot of sense. Um, The thing that I maybe expected more of from Hubert that I haven't seen as much of that I would like to see more of in the coming years is um, he does things a lot like Roy Williams does them. He does things a lot like North Carolina has always done them. Um, North Carolina is not at the front of the pack in terms of name, image, and likeness. It is not at the front of the pack in terms of facilities. It is not at the front of the pack in terms of uh, propping up its MB- its players to go to the NBA. It doesn't have a strong alumni base in that regard. And those were all things under Roy Williams that were criticized by a lot of recruits and even players once they got there. And those haven't really changed. Um, and I think going forward for North Carolina to maintain its place in the college basketball hierarchy to prevent yourself from becoming the next Indiana um, which is very possible, North Carolina is going to have to make some strides in that regard. So that has been surprising to me about the Hubert hire. Um, here's, the, here's the hoping that they don't make those strides, but continue. <laughs> yeah. uh, as far as the Shire hire, it makes 100% sense to me from every single way. Um, that was more of a process than the Hubert hire. There were other candidates, other, you know, I think you could argue deserving candidates, yeah. but the main thing that coach K wanted was making sure that there never was that drop off, that it never went from, you know, we're at this level. It never came down whatsoever. And who inside of the program understands the way it works better than his three assistants. Nobody. Shire is his oldest tenured assistant. Shire is a guy who has won a title as a player and has won a title as an assistant coach. He is arguably the best individual recruiter in college basketball. He is young and hip and modern, and he understands how to fit your scheme around your personnel, not vice versa. Um, He understands name, image, and likeness. He understands the power of branding. He understands social media. He is as modern of college basketball coach as you could want. And given the way the game is changing, Coach K very easily could reinvent himself again. He's done it three or four times in his career. That's a lot of work to do. John Shire's already got all those things going for him. The biggest thing is he's just never been a coach before. Um, but he runs, you know, Shire comes up with a lot of their out-of-bounds plays. He comes up with a lot of their sets. He makes a lot of calls. He's won both of his games filling in for Coach K the last two seasons. That hire made a lot more sense to me because really, you know, I think that that Shire is – he is the embodiment of everything that that program values and has valued and will continue to value – and it's the reason why they've been so successful. So, so that one made a ton of sense to me. And I, I think he's going to knock it out of the park. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, Paul, you feel the same way. And I know, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head and you already mentioned 
having the recruiting class, number one recruiting class in the country um, as of now coming in next year. He's been such an elite individual recruiter. That number one class coming in on the heels of Kay retiring, I don't know if you can attribute everything to, to one piece, but do you think, is that a product of just John Shire himself? Is there still a, a piece of Kay that's involved or is that just what the Duke brand has gotten to and is going to going to remain? Yeah, it's that last part is a huge part of it. Um, I think a lot of folks, when they see all these number one recruits going to Duke, and and don't get it wrong, Coach K is the reason a lot of these guys go to Duke. You get a chance to play for a guy who's coached Kobe, KD, LeBron, Carmelo. I mean, why would you not want to play for that guy? But at the same point, over the years, and especially in the last five or six, Duke's entire brand and everything that they offer to players is just so top of the top of the line. I mean. Their social media department is by far the best in college Crazy. basketball. Crazy. And, and I want to say this. They were ahead of the curve in 07 when they launched Duke Blue Planet. Like, nobody was like, huh, what, what should we do in 07, 08? Get a YouTube channel? Like, no. No one was thinking yeah. about that. But sorry, keep going. No, and, and but it is huge. And that gets guys' brands out there. It gets to – look, Zion was going to be a star if he went to Clemson. He went to Duke and he became a megastar. Um, their, their brand is a multiplier. So you, if you're going to Duke, you're getting that you are getting NBA level strength performance coaching. You are getting NBA level evaluation. Duke runs in and they have combine evals at the start of the year. They have open practices where scouts are invited to come and see guys to get a barometer on, okay, what, who do we need to watch? What do we need to watch? Um, they have obviously a, a wide base of alums currently playing and in front offices. They've got a number of general managers, Quinn Snyder's a head coach. They've got connections up the wazoo. The facilities are insane and continue to get better. They, they really offer everything that a future NBA player could look like. And, and the other catch is, okay, let's say that you are a Wendell Moore and you don't make it in one year or you end up coming back for two or for three or even for four years. You're also going to leave with a Duke degree. And yeah. even if you don't ever do anything, that, that still counts for a lot. Um, you know, the fact that there are two minority assistants on the staff, the fact that there might be three next year, the fact that they are very vocal about having Black Lives Matter protests and having Coach K put videos out supporting that, that stuff all is huge. It matters. It really does. And so I, that, I think, is why John Shire has had the recruiting success he has, because, yes, he's a great coach. Yes, he's had personal success, but he has literally he has gone through all of this before and it's only gotten better since. And he says, look, I'm, I'm John Shire. I am not the most athletic guy in the world. I was never the best player on the court. And I almost made it to the NBA. I was in summer league with LeBron and Dwayne Wade because I did all of this since I've been here. It's gotten 10 times better. And look where we're putting guys now. It's the easiest sell in the world. And then coach gay comes in with all the rings on his fingers and he's your closer. I mean, it's, it's a really nice setup for John and not saying he's not a great recruiter himself, but there's a lot more going for Duke than just John Shire, just Coach K even. Um, it's the whole strength of the program and the brand. Yeah, I also just love that Krzyzewski's keeping his office also. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's you good. really? I didn't even know that. He oh, is, yeah, bro. Well, it, it's not so much an office as it is he has the a entire shrine. floor of that building. It's <laughs> the whole floor. I mean, it's literally the whole top floor of the building. So, no, yeah, he's not giving that away. Yeah. Um, all right, man, let's jump into uh, each team and how they're doing this year. Let's start with Duke. Um, there is a clip that I have uh, shared that we recorded months ago now before the season where I was saying this team will live and die or get bounced in the Sweet 16 based on how Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach play. Um, Wendell had a great start to the year. He has struggled mightily in the last four to five games. He had two points against Notre Dame. Didn't even look like he was out there. Jeremy Roach had zero against Notre Dame and Notre Dame. That was actually, I was, I was at Notre Dame watching the game. It was one of the strangest games I've ever watched. Like Notre Dame couldn't score and it was just Paolo and AJ Griffin playing. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. But what do you need? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was, it was strange, but let's just get your overall thoughts on the Duke team um, and, and just kind of how they have progressed this season. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, the best Duke that we saw was in December. Yeah. And, um, you know, different – they have been constantly in flux since the end of December. And so, to me, the question of how – they're good enough to win a title. 
Yep. They are absolutely good enough to win a title. Um, you know, I remember when NBA scouts were allowed to one of their practices back in October, it was actually the practice AJ Griffin got injured at. And I had a couple of scouts text me and say, Duke's got the best starting five in the country. Um, they've only got six and a half players, but they've got the best starting five in the country. Um, yeah. I still think that this is uh, a team that you, you could say that about, that they have one of the best starting fives in the country. I think that the last month and a half of interruptions have taken them down a peg though. And for me, the question of how far they go in March is can they get back to that? So first you have COVID, uh, guys can't practice for 10 days. You get out of shape, you get out of cohesion with each other. Makes, makes sense. It happens. Then Trevor Keels get hurt. Then AJ Griffin comes on. Then Jeremy Roach is out of the starting lineup. Oh wait, no, now he's back in. Okay. Now Trevor Keels is back. There, there have been so many moving pieces and every time you feel like, okay, I, I have a firm grasp on this part of the team, it changes. Um, and so that, I think that has led to some inconsistency, especially offensively, and has been a big reason why, you know, they've struggled against, you know, a, a Miami against the Florida state, because they don't have that same level of cohesion. And, you know, I would say just all around conditioning that they had at the beginning of the year. I think that for the rest of the season, getting back to that point is huge. I think what you mentioned in terms of settling on a ball handler, whether it be Jeremy Roach, whether it be Wendell Moore, settling on a ball handler is huge. It would be Jeremy Roach in my eyes. I think that's where he offers the most value to the team. If Duke wins a title, it's going to be because of AJ Griffin. Though. Um, yeah. And to be honest with you, I didn't see him being this good this early, this quick. Um, I thought he'd be, and now, now he's getting projected to be picked in the first round. And I'm like, God, no, like just play a little worse. So you could oh. stay for two years. He was never staying for two years. He, I, I mean, I, I have a good relationship with his high school coach because they have uh, yeah, yeah, Davis yeah. in North Carolina too. Yeah, he's a good and I, went, I went up to see all of them when AJ was a junior, right before he got hurt. And when RJ was a senior and um, I mean, he looked like he was made out of marble when he was, you know, 16 years old. And the guy, he's going to be a top 10 pick. I can tell you that now. I had a scout who was at the Duke Louisville game text me um, and say that he thinks that there's a very good chance that AJ ends up being the best pro on this team, even more so than Paolo. Um, he's, he's at about 65% of what he's capable right now. And he just scored 22 points on five of five shooting, four rebounds, no turnovers, you know, two steals, a block, like, He's such a, he, the reason why I think he is the reason that Duke wins a title is because he's at 65% of what he's capable of right now. And he's still dominating. Yeah. Um, and if he, he is capable of taking over games, just like Paolo is no other team in the country has two dudes like that, um, that are capable of doing that. Auburn has Jabari Smith. Um, you know, I think that you could say that Baylor, when Akinjo is there, maybe it's him, um, you know, Ohio State's got EJ Liddell. I mean, Gonzaga's got Timmy. Holmgren's not really a takeover guy. In Bancaro and Griffin, Duke has two takeover dudes. And, um, you know, even on a roster that has probably four, if not five, first-round picks, the fact that those two dudes are going to be better than the other two dudes on the opposite end of the floor every single night. I mean, it's, you know, basketball is not all that complex a game, and that's as simple as I can put it. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's jump into UNC. You know, you mentioned there they got six losses. They don't have a quad one win. Um, they're they're weird because they have lots of talent. They got four guys in double figures. Um, they're athletic. They're pretty big. They block some shots. Um, it doesn't feel like a traditional UNC team. I think. Um, why am I blanking on the dude that Kessler? Like, obviously, man, if they had him, this is a completely different conversation. Um, but yeah, talk to us about UNC and their struggles and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, you know, I, this is, I think a lot of people ignore this fact talking about North Carolina. Um, and excuse me if you can hear my dog barking in the background. Yeah, it's all right. Um, um, but this is largely the same roster from last season that struggled with consistency all year long that ended up losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament for the first time in Roy Williams's career and had multiple players leave via the NBA draft and the transfer point. So this is basically the same North Carolina from last year that had all of these various issues and didn't materially get better. Um, you brought in two freshmen who are barely playing. You brought in only one transfer who's currently playing. Um, Dawson Garcia is away from the team right now. Anthony Harris is unavailable for the rest of the season. I mean, this is not a better roster. Um, and so I think that when you're looking at 
what you expected from this team, it was substantial improvement from everybody on the roster. And you haven't gotten that consistently. Armando Baycott has been, I mean, the dude has been a tank. And I think there's a very good chance that he ends up being the ACC player of the year this, this year. Um, you know, I think that probably this game on Saturday between he and Palo Bancaro is, is going to do a lot to sway voters minds, depending on their relative performances. He's been better, but the, the rest of the guys around him have Kerwin Walton has fallen off a cliff. Um, RJ Davis and Caleb Love have been sensational some games and they have been the opposite some others. Um, you know, I, I just don't know that you've seen enough growth and improvement from these guys that it was fair to expect a whole lot more, but because it's North Carolina, you do. Um, but really to me, this team goes, you know, for the better or for the worse, they go where Caleb Love takes them. Um, yep. in, in games that he scored 20 or more points in his career, UNC's never lost. In game. <laughs> When he has a bunch of turnovers, they do. That's a stat, right? Like, (laughs) um, and obviously, you know, as you would know, Paul, uh, he he had some good performances against Duke last year. So I really think that his, his inconsistency aligns pretty nicely with North Carolina's inconsistency overall this year. Um, But if he can play well, if he catches fire for a week, a month, however long, maybe so does the team at large. I'm glad you brought that up because I felt, and I, I watched majority of UNC games as much as I can. I probably watched Duke a little bit more. I went to the Virginia UNC game, sitting cool. right up the court, and, and I'm sitting here. I'm like, is this guy just having a hot game, or am I just watching him finally transform? Because Caleb Love was unbelievable, and if he exactly like you said, if he can play up to his potential at a consistent level, it makes him a completely different team. Absolutely. Um, the problem is that, uh, he only plays up to that level, you know, once in every three games and only ever at home, never on the road. (laughs) So let's, uh, let's talk about Saturday, um, predictions. We'll, we'll start super high level, um, score and winner. And then, uh, and then why? Yeah. Um, the important questions, uh, I, you know, the easiest thing, I think Duke's going to win the game. You know, one of two things is going to break on Saturday. Either North Carolina is finally going to lose a game at home or North Carolina is finally going to beat a good team. Um, And I don't think that it has the personnel to beat Duke. Um, Brady Manick is going to have to defend Paolo Bancaro in one-on-one situations. And so you don't think they'll put Armando on him? I don't think they can afford to, because then what are you going to do with Mark Williams? I mean, the thing, the thing is right now, North Carolina, especially without Dawson Garcia and Anthony Harris, that's, that's two of their top seven players coming into the year. So, you know, Puff Johnson, a guy who had not played for an entire calendar year, a full 365 days, Puff Johnson is playing serious minutes now. And Kerwin Walton, who I just said fell off a cliff, is, is playing serious minutes now. Um, the starters have been averaging like crazy 30-ish plus minutes uh, the past few games since Dawson and Anthony Harris have been out. There's just not a lot of depth here. And Duke doesn't have a lot of depth either, but Duke is gaining depth while North Carolina is losing it. You know, it, uh, it, Trevor Kills is probably going to come off the bench again on Saturday, I would expect. Um, yeah. That's the first rounder off the bench. Theo John is coming off the bench. Joey Baker is coming off the bench. And now... Bates Jones is coming off the bench and actually giving Duke something. I mean, major yeah. Justin Robinson vibes from him. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I really, do. here's my thing with Bates is I agree with you. I think he's the guy out there who, when, when you look at his stat sheet, it's like plus one, like he's not doing anything crazy, but he's also not hurting you. So that's, that's valuable. Um, but I just don't like the lineups that are on the floor while he's in. It's very much like, it almost seems like Kay and Shire look at each other. It's like, hey, can we steal two minutes? Let's put Theo, let's put Bates, let's put Joey Baker. And I can stop there because the other two almost don't even matter. It's like, that's a weird three that are on the yeah. floor right now. They're never not going to have at least two of Paolo, Wendell, and AJ on the court at the same time. Two yeah. of those guys are always going to be on the court. But what you said about stealing two minutes, that's 100% right. Yeah. It is literally, can <laughs> we get... Can we get to the next media timeout before yep. we have can to we give Can we give Paolo a blow for two minutes? We're up six. It's okay. Like, you know, if they come back, they come back. Yeah. Um, totally. So to get back to my prediction, Duke will win. I think it'll probably be closer than people think it will be. I think it'll yeah. be a four or five point game. Always. Um, but I, I just don't know that UNC has the personnel or the depth. Um, I think, you know, if I'm Mark Williams, if I'm Theo John, if I'm Bates Jones, 
every single time I get the ball, I'm going at Armando Baycott and I'm forcing him to foul me. And if I foul, I foul. we've got 15 fouls to give and he's only got five. Um, And, and, you know, that's, that's probably not exactly the way that coach K is thinking of it. Um, But in terms of, if you get Armando Baycott out of the game, if you get Armando Baycott out of the game, the game's over. Yeah. The game ends right there. It's a completely different thing. The game ends there. So um, I, I, I don't think that UNC has the bodies, the depth or the matchups um, to really compete unless they're making, you know, 15 or 16 three pointers. Yeah. You know? With God, we hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> and we, and I, I, this is something, I won't even argue this. I, I, I think pretty much everyone, unless you live in the state of Kentucky um, believes that this by far and way, the best rivalry in college hoops, what would you put the, what would you say number two and number three behind them? And, and where does, where does it rank within all sports rivalries? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a great question. Um, I agree with you. I think Duke North Carolina is easily the best rivalry in college basketball. Um, Kentucky Louisville is obviously a very good one. Um, you know, this year, Auburn, Alabama is pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of some other really, really good. We like, always, I, I mean, I live in Ohio, so Xavier, Cincinnati, like they take that pretty seriously. That one is pretty good, to be honest with you. I mean, I was thinking like Texas, Texas Tech for the next, yep. you know, as long as Beard is there, that one's great. Yeah, be, that was that's wild. Gonna, that's going to be fantastic. Um, you know, I think that I don't, I, I don't know that Kansas Baylor counts quite in that realm yet. Ku kind of has, you know. They don't have like a true, I, I don't know that they have someone that they hate quite that much. Honestly, yeah. I might go with Xavier, uh, Xavier Cincinnati. I mean, that's yep. a, that's a pretty, pretty good one. Um, you know, what's sad or maybe not sad, but funny is like Ohio state, Michigan would like not even come to mind just because they oh. just haven't really, I'll had, tell you that, you know, it's weird. Michigan, Michigan state's pretty good. Yeah. Like Michigan, I would Michigan, think Michigan state's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the old Big East, obviously the I old Big East. UConn, Syracuse, Syracuse, Georgetown, those ones. Right. They've just kind of lost their luster in the last decade. It really the- has. Yeah. And and yeah. then the my I guess my last follow-up to that, and, and we've talked about this a couple of times. And I, after moving uh down here to the triangle, I've seen even more and more. Where does NC State fit into all this? And I think there's what I think a lot of people don't realize is locally there's way more NC state fans that you see day to day than you would even probably see Duke fans. I mean, there's a large NC state presence. I think they see their rivalry with UNC a lot heavier probably than UNC does with them compared to Duke. But what, from your standpoint, obviously being in the mix, where does NC state fit into all this? This is how I explain it. There's you look at it on three different levels. You look at it on the local level, the state level and the national level. On the local level, NC State is number one. It is crazy. It makes no sense. NC State is number one locally. It's what there's just so many NC State fans who live in the triangle still, um, even in Chapel Hill and Durham. Then it's North Carolina two and it's Duke three locally in the state. It's North Carolina number one because the alums are everywhere. It's NC State two. And then it's still Duke number three. Nationally, it's Duke number one, North Carolina two, and NC State's not even on the map. They're like 90th. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it's such a strange media market for that for that respect because it is so different depending on the audience that you're trying to get in touch with. So um, like like the job that I fill, the job that I do is dramatically different even than like the UNC beat writer or the Duke beat writer for the local paper because. They're, like I'm writing for a national audience and they're not, they're writing for the local audience where the interest is different. So um, it's very strange. NC state fans are crazy. Um, like that fan base is actually insane. Um, you know, why, why are they insane? <laughs> yeah. Give us, give us the, why are they insane? I think, and, and I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Jeff Goodman, but he keeps like a, a power rankings of the yes. craziest yes. sports. Yep. I think NC state's in the top three NC state Always. fans. NC State fans are insane. They think that they are still living in the 80s. They think that it's still the Jimmy V era. Um, they think that they should be winning national titles. They think they should be competing for ACC titles. Um, NC State hasn't won a team sports national title since the 80s oh in any God. sport. Um, so, you know. And, Holy and- God, that's going to that's gonna get clipped. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, before Dabo really got Clemson rolling, the term was, you know, Clemsoning whenever they would choke. Um, that's, that's NC state crap. Um, but in every sport and situation, um, you know, this year, NC state has a really good college baseball team on the verge of going to the college world series, COVID out. Don't even get a chance to play. I mean, like, it's like stuff like that, that happens to NC state. Um, and their fans are constantly annoyed because Duke and North Carolina don't, don't think about them whatsoever. Um, and, and given the results, you know, I think UNC has won like, you know, Roy was what, 33 and five against NC state all time. Like, I mean, yeah. It's, you, it's not and, since I think I will, 20, since 2016, 2017, NC state has uh, let UNC score a hundred points on them three separate times since 2016, 17. I feel bad. We've turned this into the pile on NC state hour, but I do <laughs> want to as well that um, I don't think I told us in the pod, but the first time I took my wife to PNC, we're looking up all the banners. You obviously you have the national championship. You've got the whistle with coach Valvani. You've got all that. And you see this track record. And then there's this giant drop off of no tournaments. And my wife looks up and was like, have they really been that bad for this long? I said, well, there's a man named Mark Gottfried as well. But even without that, they're, they're, they have not, I think that the best way I can see it is it, we're not living in, in 1983, 1984 any, anymore. Um, whereas the fan base don't think and, and they, they, they pretty much are, but it is uh, looking at Goodman's updated list. This is, I know it's not the most up-to-date. This is from April 7th, 2021. He had Kentucky 1, Indiana 2, NC State 3, yep. Illinois 4. This is Michigan what? Five. Most most delusion, most crazy? What is the what is the it's title? Twitter fan bases. Craziest Twitter fan bases. Twitter. Um, pretty fan much bases. Got it. Okay. Um NC, Kentucky, NC State fans are crazy. Um, and Virginia at six, which I can't argue with one bit at all. Uh wow. Yukon, Michigan State, Arizona, Auburn. That is uh Yukon's in there. You yeah, Yukon's definitely in there. Auburn, Auburn is very quickly rising up those rankings too. Yeah. I, from someone that had to deal with the Auburn fans leaving uh, U.S. Bank Stadium in the final four in 2019 um, after they, uh, the Kyle guy foul and the, uh, the, the travel that we won't talk about or the double dribble. Goddamn on, travel. Uh, man. Um, I, yeah, I, I can agree that Auburn fans are not the most pleasant folks. But uh, to wrap things up, I, I, we did this last week. Obviously, I already mentioned it kind of it, it, it fell into Paul's lap. Um, but I want to give you the green light for a hot take, whatever it may be, whether it's this weekend, whether it's this season. Um, what have you got for us? Does, it doesn't have to be uh, basketball related either. It can be about any other sport, whatever you got. It doesn't have to be basketball related at all. Um, I got asked this question earlier and I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but I think there's a greater likelihood that Duke makes the final four this year than that North Carolina wins a single tournament game. Um, wow. I don't know how, I don't know like, how hot. I think that's a, little, a hot take. I think that's it's a hot a, take. It's a little hot, but like, I, I just don't like North Carolina has not shown the ability to do anything with any sort of consistency outside of the Smith center. I really, the thing that I, I wish that I could convey is that like if Duke wins or loses on Saturday, it, it's crazy to say, but like in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Duke could lose five of its next six games and it still wouldn't matter as long as they were getting back to the shape that they were in. Like literally the only thing that matters for this whole Duke season, it's been a, fi- it's going to be a five month runway to trying to win six games in a row. And yeah. anything that happened before then doesn't matter. As long as you're in position to take flight and go for six games, that's literally it. Um, and I hate that that's how this season is going to be remembered because Duke probably is going to win the ACC, probably win the ACC tournament title. But everything is is building to that, and I think that they've got a really good shot to, to make it close. This, I mean, this team has Final Four written all over it, and um, I just don't trust North Carolina quite yet. I, um, in terms of the Carolina not winning a game, I think now that I thought about it a little bit more, it may not be as hot as I originally thought because, I mean, they're going to get a 10 seed, you know, Maybe. like, you know, like, so they're not playing uh, Kennesaw state as the 16, you know, they're, they're going to play somebody serious. Let, um, let me say this last year two <laughs> no last year, two teams made the NCAA tournament with just a single quad one win Drake mm-hmm. and Syracuse. 
Um, no team has ever made or been projected to make the NCAA f- tournament field without a quadrant run win. And that's where North Carolina is right now. They got four of them left. They have four opportunities and- left. Yeah. So both, For- both Duke games. And then what Clemson on the road and Virginia tech on the road. Although I'm not sure if that one's going to continue to hold up. Um, yeah, but the sure. point is like, you've got you know, about that. You, you've you've got to win one of these here, and yeah. you're saying that they're going to get a ten seed. I mean, I I don't think that North Carolina making I, I, the tournament is. By I just said ten because I think that's where I last saw them. I, they're they're still getting projected to be in. They like might 10, be eleven. A, they might end up as a first fourteen. It is pretty wild. Both North Carolina and Virginia Tech neither have a quad one win, and at least Ken, I don't know what they are in the net right now. Ken Palm UNC is thirty seventh. Virginia Tech is forty second. Listen, um, if you want, if you want me to turn into the most insufferable fan, let Coach K sweep these dudes, win the ACC, and them not make the tournament. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you! I mean, I made this tweet. Speed up! Yeah. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, fall so. right off to the exit music. <laughs> uh, all right, Brendan. Um, actually, last thing: where can everybody find you? Twitter, Instagram, the Athletic, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Also, all my stuff is uh, at The Athletic, you know, theathletic.com, shameless plug. I mean, I think uh, regardless of if you're a Duke or Carolina fan, ACC basketball, college basketball in general, I think, you know, it's the best sports writing that you can get in the world right now. It's, uh, you know, it's one-stop shop, any team that you're a fan of, any combination. If you're a UNC basketball Dallas Cowboys, Minnesota Vikings fan. That's cool. Come on. We want you. So uh, all my stuff is at The Athletic. I'm on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Um, I try and engage with folks. Um, you know, that's that's where I put all my stuff out. I just had a story out today, but I'll be at the game on Saturday and um, it should be a good one. I'm excited. Awesome, man. Also, I think that's how Ian wins fantasy every year is he's always asking questions in like the fantasy football thing. And then I'm always getting tagged in him. I'm like this, dude. Jake Seeley. Jake Seeley by himself. Jake Seeley. Yeah, Jake Seeley. That's right. It's always Jake. Yeah, I'm like. not speak highly enough of the athletic all across the board. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Brendan, this was great, man. Um, Yeah, you know, listen, we're going to sign off with Go Duke, Go to Hell Carolina. You know, kind of go Virginia for Ian, but uh, appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we'll on Monday, so we'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll turn around. Yeah, all right, fellas, appreciate oh, it, man. I want, I want Duke. I want Duke. Sorry, just uh, to extend it. We need a a a Duke win, and then a a, a come from behind Virginia unexpected flip on on Monday. That's what we're, I, I will uh, listen. I'll sign up for that right now. I don't care. I'll sign up for that right now. <laughs> UNC win is all that matters. All right, we're out of here. See you, fellas. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, rust, souls up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.